Third part of Chapter Three of the Second Volume of the Life of Reason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The Life of Reason by George Santayana. Chapter Three: Industry, Government, and War. Part Three. Side note: Their Democratic Tendencies. Such a state tends to expand in two directions. In the first place, it becomes more democratic. That is, it tends to recognize other influences than that which heads of families, patres conscripti, possess. The people without such fathers, those who are not patricians, also have children and come to imitate on a smaller scale the patriarchal economy. These plebeians are admitted to citizenship, but they have no such religious dignity and power in their little families as the patricians have in theirs. They are scarcely better than loose individuals, representing nothing but their own sweet wills. This individualism and levity is not, however, confined to the plebeians. It extends to the patrician houses. Individualism is the second direction in which a patriarchal society yields to innovation. As the state grows, the family weakens. And while in early Rome, for instance, only the pater familias was responsible to the city, and his children and slaves only to him. In Greece we find from early times individuals called to account before public judges. A federation of households thus became a republic. The king, that chief who enjoyed a certain hereditary precedence in sacrifices or in war, yields to elected generals and magistrates whose power, while it lasts, is much greater for no other comparable power now subsists in the leveled state. Modern Europe has seen an almost parallel development of democracy and individualism, together with the establishment of great artificial governments. Though the feudal hierarchy was originally based on conquest or domestic subjection, it came to have a fanciful or chivalrous or political force. But gradually the plebeian classes, the burghers, grew in importance, and military allegiance was weakened by being divided between a number of superposed lords up to the king, emperor, or pope. The stronger rulers grew into absolute monarchs, representatives of great states, and the people became, in a political sense, a comparatively level multitude. Where parliamentary government was established, it became possible to subordinate or exclude the monarch and his court, but the government remains an involuntary institution, and the individual must adapt himself to its exigencies. The church which once overshadowed the state has now lost its coercive authority, and the single man stands alone before an impersonal written law. A constitutional government and a widely diffused and contagious public opinion, characterized by enormous inertia, incoherence, and blindness. Contemporary national units are strongly marked, and stimulate on occasion a perfervid artificial patriotism, but they are strangely unrepresentative of either personal or universal interests, and may yield in turn to new combinations, if the industrial and intellectual solidarity of mankind every day more obvious, ever finds a fit organ to express and to defend it. Side note. Imperial Peace. A despotic military government founded on alien force and aiming at its own magnificence 
is often more efficient in defending its subjects than is a government expressing only the people's energies as the predatory shepherd and his dog prove better guardians for a flock than its own weathers the robbers that at their first incursion brought terror to merchant and peasant may become almost immediately representative organs of society an army and a judiciary disputes between subjects are naturally submitted to the invader under whose laws and good will alone a practical settlement can now be effected and this alien tribunal being exempt from local prejudices and interested in peace that taxes may be undiminished may administer a comparatively impartial justice until corrupted by bribes the constant compensation tyranny brings which keeps it from at once exhausting its victims is the silence it imposes on their private squabbles one distant universal enemy is less oppressive than a thousand unchecked pilferers and plotters at home for this reason the reader of ancient history so often has occasion to remark what immense prosperity asiatic provinces enjoyed between the periods when their successive conquerors devastated them they flourished exceedingly the moment peace and a certain order were established in them side note nominal and real status of armies tyranny not only protects the subject against his kinsmen thus taking on the functions of law and police but it also protects him against military invasion and thus takes on the function of an army an army considered ideally is an organ for the state's protection but it is far from being such in its origin since at first an army is nothing but a ravenous and lusty horde quartered in a conquered country yet the cost of such an incubus may come to be regarded as an insurance against further attack and so what is in its real basis an inevitable burden resulting from a chance balance of forces may be justified in afterthought as a rational device for defensive purposes such an ulterior justification has nothing to do however with the causes that maintain armies or military policies and accordingly those virginal minds that think things originated in the uses they may have acquired have frequent cause to be pained and perplexed at the abuses and overdevelopment of militarism an insurance capitalized may exceed the value of the property insured and the drain caused by armies and navies may be much greater than the havoc they prevent the evils against which they are supposed to be directed are often evils only in a cant and conventional sense since the events deprecated like absorption by a neighboring state might be in themselves no misfortune to the people but perhaps a singular blessing and those dreaded possibilities even if really evil may well be less so than is the hateful actuality of military taxes military service and military arrogance side note their action irresponsible nor is this all the military classes since they inherit the blood and habits of conquerors naturally love war and their irrational combativeness is reinforced by interest for in war officers can shine and rise while a danger of death to a brave man is rather a spur and a pleasing excitement than a terror a military class is therefore always recalling foretelling and meditating war 
it fosters artificial and senseless jealousies toward other governments that possess armies and finally as often as not it precipitates disaster by bringing about the objectless struggle on which it has set its heart side note pugnacity human these natural phenomena unintelligently regarded as anomalies and abuses are the appanage of war in its pristine and proper form to fight is a radical instinct if men have nothing else to fight over they will fight over words fancies or women or they will fight because they dislike each other's looks or because they have met walking in opposite directions to knock a thing down especially if it is cocked at an arrogant angle is a deep delight to the blood to fight for a reason and in a calculating spirit is something your true warrior despises even a coward might screw his courage up to such a reasonable conflict the joy and glory of fighting lie in its pure spontaneity and consequent generosity you are not fighting for gain but for sport and for victory victory no doubt has its fruits for the victor if fighting were not a possible means of livelihood the bellicose instinct could never have established itself in any long-lived race a few men can live on plunder just as there is room in the world for some beasts of prey other men are reduced to living on industry just as there are diligent bees ants and herbivorous kine but victory need have no good fruits for the people whose army is victorious that it sometimes does so is an ulterior and blessed circumstance hardly to be reckoned upon side note barrack room philosophy since barbarism has its pleasures it naturally has its apologists there are panegyrists of war who say that without a periodical bleeding a race decays and loses its manhood experience is directly opposed to this shameless assertion it is war that wastes a nation's wealth chokes its industries kills its flower narrows its sympathies condemns it to be governed by adventurers and leaves the puny deformed and unmanly to breed the next generation internecine war foreign and civil brought about the greatest setback which the life of reason has ever suffered it exterminated the greek and italian aristocracies instead of being descended from heroes modern nations are descended from slaves and it is not their bodies only that show it after a long peace if the conditions of life are propitious we observe a people's energies bursting their barriers they become aggressive on the strength they have stored up in their remote and unchecked development it is the unmutilated race fresh from the struggle with nature in which the best survive while in war it is often the best that perish that descends victoriously into the arena of nations and conquers disciplined armies at the first blow becomes the military aristocracy of the next epoch and is itself ultimately sapped and decimated by luxury and battle and merged at last into the ignoble conglomerate beneath then perhaps in some other virgin country a genuine humanity is again found capable of victory because unbled by war to call war the soil of courage and virtue is like calling debauchery the soil of love side note military virtues military institutions adventitious and ill-adapted excrescences as they usually are 
can acquire rational values in various ways besides occasional defense they furnish a profession congenial to many and a spectacle and emotion interesting to all blind courage is an animal virtue indispensable in a world full of dangers and evils where a certain insensibility and dash are requisite to skirt the precipice without vertigo such animal courage seems therefore beautiful rather than desperate or cruel and being the lowest and most instinctive of virtues it is the one most widely and sincerely admired in the form of steadiness under risks rationally taken and perseverance so long as there is a chance of success courage is a true virtue but it ceases to be one when the love of danger a useful passion when danger is unavoidable begins to lead men into evils which it was unnecessary to face bravado provocativeness and a gambler's instinct with a love of hitting hard for the sake of exercise is a temper which ought already to be counted among the vices rather than the virtues of man to delight in war is a merit in the soldier a dangerous quality in the captain and a positive crime in the statesman discipline or the habit of obedience is a better sort of courage which military life also requires discipline is the acquired faculty of surrendering an immediate personal good for the sake of a remote and impersonal one of greater value this difficult wisdom is made easier by training in an army because the great forces of habit example and social suasion are there enlisted in its service but these natural aids make it lose its conscious rationality so that it ceases to be a virtue except potentially for to resist an impulse by force of habit or external command may or may not be to follow the better course besides fostering these rudimentary virtues the army gives the nation's soul its most festive and flaunting embodiment popular heroes stirring episodes obvious turning points in history commonly belong to military life side note they are splendid vices nevertheless the panegyrist of war places himself on the lowest level on which a moralist or patriot can stand and shows as great a want of refined feeling as of right reason for the glories of war are all blood-stained delirious and infected with crime the combative instinct is a savage prompting by which one man's good is found in another's evil the existence of such a contradiction in the moral world is the original sin of nature whence flows every other wrong he is a willing accomplice of that perversity in things who delights in another's discomfiture or in his own and craves the blind tension of plunging into danger without reason or the idiot's pleasure in facing a pure chance to find joy in another's trouble is as man is constituted not unnatural though it is wicked and to find joy in one's own trouble though it be madness is not yet impossible for man these are the chaotic depths of that dreaming nature out of which humanity has to grow side note absolute value in strife if war could be abolished and the defense of all interests entrusted to courts of law there would remain unsatisfied a primary and therefore ineradicable instinct a love of conflict of rivalry and of victory if we desire to abolish war because it tries to do good by doing harm 
we must not ourselves do an injury to human nature while trying to smooth it out now the test and limit of all necessary reform is vital harmony no impulse can be condemned arbitrarily or because some other impulse or group of interests is in a platonic way out of sympathy with it an instinct can be condemned only if it prevents the realization of other instincts and only in so far as it does so war which has instinct of warrant must therefore be transformed only in so far as it does harm to other interests the evils of war are obvious enough could not the virtues of war animal courage discipline and self-knowledge together with gaiety and enthusiasm find some harmless occasion for their development side note sport a civilized way of preserving it such a harmless simulacrum of war is seen in sport the arduous and competitive element in sport is not harmful if the discipline involved brings no loss of faculty or of right sensitiveness and the rivalry no rancor in war states wish to be efficient in order to conquer but in sport men wish to prove their excellence because they wish to have it if this excellence does not exist the aim is missed and to discover that failure is no new misfortune to have failed unwittingly would have been worse and to recognize superiority in another is consistent with a relatively good and honorable performance so that even nominal failure may be a substantial success and merit and arrival should bring a friendly delight even to the vanquished if they are true lovers of sport and of excellence sport is a liberal form of war stripped of its compulsions and malignity a rational art and the expression of a civilized instinct side note who shall found the universal commonwealth the abolition of war like its inception can only be brought about by a new collocation of material forces as the suppression of some nest of piratical tribes by a great emperor substitutes judicial for military sanctions among them so the conquest of all warring nations by some imperial people could alone establish general peace the romans approached this ideal because their vast military power stood behind their governors and praetors science and commerce might conceivably resume that lost imperial function if at the present day two or three powerful governments could so far forget their irrational origin as to renounce the right to occasional piracy and could unite in enforcing the decisions of some international tribunal they would thereby constitute that tribunal the organ of a universal government and render war impossible between responsible states but on account of their irrational basis all governments largely misrepresent the true interests of those who live under them they pursue conventional and captious ends to which alone public energies can as yet be efficiently directed end of section 10 chapter 3 part 3 recording by pamela crantz